0: our world has uh, changed dramatically in the last two years. Actually, it's changed dramatically in the last five, ten years, the uh, last twenty years, uh, the last century for that matter. But the last two years, we've seen some dramatic changes in our world. And I won't take the time to go into all of them. We sometimes cover them in magazine articles or telecasts, all the changes that have taken place. But instead, in this sermon, I'm going to remind you of who the ruler of this world is, how he is the master of distractions, and how we must keep our focus on God's priorities as opposed to Satan's priorities. As we fast today, let us uh, remember who that is. I want to turn over to Ephesians, the second chapter. I was going to simply refer to this verse or a couple of verses, but I thought that it would be good to actually turn to it. I know that you understand what these verses say, at least on the surface we understand what, the, what it says, but in verse 1 of Ephesians 2 it says, "...and you He made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air." the Spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. I would imagine that some of you have that verse memorized. And that's why I thought I would uh, refer to something in the John 3.16 booklet, uh, chapter 6 on page 41. And at the beginning of that chapter, I mention here that the ability to remember is a wonderful gift for both man and beast. And pointed out how even animals, uh, the memory is very important. They almost get trapped, almost get uh, eaten by something, and uh, they they learn from that, and that's very helpful. And we're able to read because we have a memory to memorize words and letters and the way that they're put together. But then down a little bit later, three paragraphs later, I wrote here, the problem with memorization Is that once we learn something, our brains stash it away and concentrate on something new. We can pull up that piece of information and recite it, but our thinking cap has generally moved on to the next challenge. Such is the case with John 3.16. And I would say such is the case with Ephesians, the second chapter and verse two. That we read here that there is one who is a Prince of the power of the air, a spirit that works disobedience in the hearts and the sons of man, but are the sons of disobedience, is called there. He is the prince of the power of the air, and he directs the course of this world. And it's easy to read those words without realizing exactly how they apply to you and me. And we must not allow that to happen because these are very important words that are given there. Yes, he is the prince of the power of the air. And as Mr. Herbert Armstrong rightly observed, he works primarily through moods, through attitudes, and through emotions. Not necessarily in putting exact words in our minds, although he can do that and does that sometimes with individuals who uh, perhaps are demon-possessed. Maybe he doesn't do it, but a demon may. But nevertheless, he works through moods and through attitudes and emotions. And one of the prime emotions that we see in our world today is that of anger and of conflict and controversy. We see the emotion of pride, of being swelled up with pride, of thinking that we're something that we really are not. Now, you and I probably don't think of it that way, that, well, I think I'm something that I'm not. But pride is, is a is a deadly sin. Uh, when we look at it, it's something that Satan was was uh, filled with. You know, I want to descend or ascend above heaven. I want to be like the Most High. I want to this. I want to that. I want something else that we read of there in uh, the 14th chapter of Isaiah. And he wanted to be something that he was not. But the pride is something that gets in the way a lot in our relations with others. Notice over in Proverbs 13 and verse 10. I won't take the time to turn there. I've got it in my notes here, and I'll just read it from my notes. But Proverbs 13:10 says, "...by pride comes nothing but strife, but with the well-advised is wisdom." And when you really think about it, most of the arguments, most of the strife that we have, pride is involved. We we see a situation right now with Russia and the Ukraine. And it's hard to imagine that the president of Russia would uh, amass such a large number of troops on the border without really intending to go in. But what often happens is, like a like two boys on a schoolyard that get into a little bit of an argument and pride gets involved. And neither one of them really wants to fight, but neither one of them knows how to back down or back off because of pride. And that happens with husbands and wives. That happens between individuals in the church. That happens between uh, ideas that we might have that I have to be right and you have to be wrong. And again, we don't necessarily say it that way, but that's really how we act, is I have to be right. And sometimes people even forget what they're arguing about, they just know that they're right. They have to be right. The question is, do we get it, brethren? Do we really understand what these verses are saying? That there is a Spirit that is guiding and directing the course of this world. Now, the course of this world has to do with all the things that are happening around us, but He's directing the emotions, the, the anger, <clears throat> the, the, the lust, the greed, all of those things. He's directing that, and we as individuals can get caught up in it. Uh, the politics of this world, as an example, all those things are there. Do we really get it? In Ephesians, the fifth chapter, Ephesians 5, <clears throat> and verse 14, it says, Therefore he says, Awake, you who sleep, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. Now he's quoting from the Old Testament there, but the point is that he was saying to the Ephesians and to all of us that we need to be awake. We need to be alert. We need to arise uh, from, from the dead, as it were, and Christ will give you light. See then, verse 15, that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. Now, the word circumspect is a very interesting word. It comes from either the French or the Latin, one of those languages there that we draw upon so much for our own English language. But it's circum, which has to do with around. We use circle as an example, the around or round. Spect. Uh, we talk about, well, I wear spectacles, uh, or I am a spectacle, or uh, whatever. It, it comes from those two words, to look around uh, and, and to look carefully, to really focus in on something, to look carefully, to look around, not as fools, but as wise. Now, brethren, are we really looking around at what's happening in the world, Not just to say, oh, there's a war over here, there's a famine there, but how is that world impacting me? And that's what we're here to do today in fasting, is to think about where I need to change, not where the world needs to change, because we're not going to change the world, but we can change ourselves, and we must change ourselves, and we must be circumspect about what is happening and how this... Prince of the Power of the Air is directing the world to think and to act a certain way, and we need to make sure that we do not get caught up in his agenda that he has there and what he is trying to do. And he's being very successful at this time in causing division, in causing anger, in causing all kinds of conflict, and there's a lot of pride involved here in uh, what's happening in our world today as well. Uh, some of these mandates, for example, I think are as much about pride as they are about the actual facts of things. There are some people that will not give in because nobody's going to tell me what to do. Well, that's pride. But then I think there are also leaders who haven't gotten their way, haven't forced everybody to do it their way, and so they're going to make it as uh, our... our um, um, president over there, and not ours, but uh, president in France, that uh, he's going to really, I'll put it a little differently, tick off everybody that's not vaccinated. So it, it's, it's a matter of pride, and it goes both ways, and we see what's happening, or we should see what's happening in our world in these ways. Over in Revelation, the 12th chapter, Revelation 12, <clears throat> and in verse 9, It says, So the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old, called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. It's easy for us to think about how the rest of the world is deceived, but do we ever think that, yes, I can be deceived? Sometimes we are most wrong when we think that it's impossible to be wrong. I, I learned that lesson a long time ago, that sometimes when I thought I really knew that I was right, it turned out that I was wrong. And when we fast, as we're doing today, uh, this is a time to really think about, how, how right am I? How wrong am I about certain things? It doesn't mean we're wrong about everything. It doesn't mean that we necessarily have to change something, but we certainly need to look at our attitude and the purpose behind our thinking. And are we getting caught up in the emotions of this world, in the anger of this world, and the conflicts of this world, the politics of this world, and everything else that is about this world? Are we getting caught up in that? We may not be caught up with religious confusion, although that's certainly still possible, that we can be confused about some verse here or there. But we're talking about the general course of this world. Here, Satan has deceived the whole world, and he's cast back down to the earth, and his angels or demons are cast with him. Then verse 10, it says, I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of His Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren, who accused them before our God day and night, has been cast down. So the accuser of our brethren has been cast down. Now, if we accuse one another, uh, then we have to ask which spirit is that of? Is that of God or is that of Satan? And sometimes in the church we get into that uh, where we're accusing somebody of something that we really don't know, or we have accusations, this person is wrong, and we get all emotional about different things. And we need to recognize that that, you know, the source of accusation, where it comes from, this is the one that is directing the course of our world. In Second Corinthians, the second chapter, Second Corinthians 2, and I'll refer to verse 11 here, which is the, the operative verse here. He says, "...lest Satan should take advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices." Notice it says devices, plural. Now, the immediate concern here, if you go back to verse 5, has to do with an individual who had been removed from the church or put out of the church and brought back. And as he says here, "...if anyone has caused grief, he has not uh, grieved me." But all of you, to some extent, not to be too severe. Don't be too severe on this person. This punishment which was inflicted by the majority is uh, sufficient for such a man. So that on the contrary, you ought rather to forgive and comfort him. In other words, he's very concerned that if people had an unforgiving attitude or were uh, withholding uh, normal fellowship from this person who had been brought back, that this person could be swallowed up in grief and sorrow uh, from an unrepentant attitude of the the congregation there. And so Paul is warning them about that, that this is one of Satan's devices, an unforgiving attitude uh, towards someone who has repented. And of course, the question is, How how serious is the repentance? I think that sometimes uh, someone comes back and then somebody might think, well, I really wonder about him. I'm just not sure. And so that, that reservation can be a problem. And Satan is the one that wants us to be unforgiving. Remember when Christ was asked by Peter uh, shall I forgive my, my brother seven times? And he said, no, seven ta- 70 times seven, or an un- innumerable number of times. And he pointed out how the one man in the parable there uh, had been uh, forgiven uh, by his master when he owed him a tremendous sum of money, and then he went out and was not that way towards someone who owed him a whole lot less. So we really do need to understand that that can be a problem if we have conflicts between one and another, and we have an unforgiving attitude. Obviously, that's that's one of Satan's devices. But it says devices plural. There are many devices that Satan has, and as I pointed out here, uh, he's the author of confusion. Let's notice over that. uh, Notice that over on uh, First Corinthians, the fourteenth chapter and verse 33, 1 Corinthians 14:33, it says, For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace or disorder, uh, confusion or disorder, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. This is a Scripture that we use In our youth programs, trying to recognize that we should do things decently in an order without confusion and peace. We also bring verse 40 into that. But what I want to focus in on here is that God is not the author of confusion or disorder. But we know who the the author of that is, and that is Satan the devil. He also is one who sows discord, as we read over in Proverbs the sixth chapter, that God hates certain things. Six things, verse 16, Proverbs six sixteen. These six things the Lord hates. Yes, seven are an abomination to Him. And the first thing He mentions there is a proud look or pride. And again, this is one of the Weaknesses of Satan the devil. He got filled with pride, thinking he was something that he wasn't and wanted to be more. And that caused his downfall. Uh, A lying tongue. Do we see any lies in our world today? You know, our our world is filled with untruths and lies and deceit. Uh, There are those who put stuff out there on the Internet deliberately to cause confusion and disorder. Uh, absolute lies, things that are just made up out of out of nothing. And we know that nations do that against other nations to cause conflict with, within the nations. And we even see that in religion. I remember seeing a little pamphlet one time, and it was talking about Revelation and the uh, what's going to happen in the future. And it says, why are there so many uh, vultures in Israel at this time? And it was trying to t- explain that there are all these vultures over there, so that they could eat up all the the dead bodies when the, the war takes place. Well, God will provide plenty of, of vultures at you know that time. But it, it was just a, a ridiculous, silly thing that some in a, in a cheap little pamphlet somebody had, and you see that from time to time, uh, things that are made up out of uh, you know out of who knows what, uh, like the computer in Belgium. Uh, called the Beast. Uh, That's about 30 years old now, I guess. Uh, That's gotten kind of gotten old. But uh, there are all kinds of things that have been made up to try to scare people into getting religious or worshiping God. And so they use all these lies, such as hell. Uh, Let's scare people to death with a lie so that we can get them to worship God. Uh, You know, there's all this stuff. But in our world today, Lies are on steroids with the Internet. It's all out there. It's everywhere, and it's hard to get away from. And the fact of the matter is, we simply don't know what's true and what isn't true on a number of issues these days. Uh, we, our, our latest magazine, uh, Tomorrow's World magazine, uh, the cover uh, article it has a person that some of you are familiar with, at least in this country, uh, Anthony Fauci, Um uh, but the title of the article is The Credibility Crisis. We have a credibility crisis in our world today. And as I said, we, we simply don't know what to believe and what not to believe because sometimes we're told one thing and then we're told something else. Masks are a good example. Uh, the masks are no good. We don't need them. We need to save them for the, the healthcare workers. But then, after we have enough masks, well, everybody needs to wear a mask. Well, we were just we were just trying to save them for the healthcare workers. Well, which is it? And then the latest thing is, you know, they, they, well, not the latest, but they're talking about well, it's better to wear two masks. And now the CDC says that cloth masks really aren't of any value whatsoever. Of course, the operative word is cloth masks. And what do they mean by that? Uh, there's so much confusion that we simply don't know the truth about anything hardly at all. Now, we have a lot of opinions, and we certainly, as individuals, we think we know what the truth is, but it makes it very difficult to function as a society, uh, even as a church, when there's so much confusion that's out there to where it's hard to know what the truth truly is. But here in Proverbs 6, a proud look, a lying tongue... Uh, it talks about hands that shed in some blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that are swift to running to evil, a false witness who speaks lies. So there it is again. And then the last one, one who sows discord among brethren. And God does not want us to have discord in, in the church. In fact, we are to remove people who uh, do sow discord. Now, it's one thing to have an opinion and to act on your opinion in your own personal life, but when we start trying to get everybody else to be like leave like we are, contrary to what the church is taught, that becomes problematic. So if we see confusion and discord in the church, it's not of God, but is of the God of this world. There have always been controversies in the church. And I'd like to refer to a few of them here. Uh, when we go back to the time of the first century, we see that there were controversies in the church, some of them quite serious. One of them is something that we don't think much about today, although there are, I've actually heard that there are disputes among people on this subject, uh, subject of circumcision. That was a big deal back then. It's not that big of a deal today, but uh, even that can be controversial among a few. I would say a very, very few. But uh, nevertheless, uh, let's notice over in Galatians where there's a great deal spoken of on circumcision. I won't read all the verses on it, but you can read through there. And, well, Paul talks about the Gentiles and he talks about the Jews He often refers to them in this context as circumcised or uncircumcised. Uh, And clearly, there is something that uh, circumcision is clearly a part of the, the major discussion. And I don't want to go into all of Galatians, but notice verse 3 of chapter 2. Galatians 2, verse 3 says, "...yet not even Titus, who was with me, being a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised." So, it had to do with people compelling others to be circumcised or not to be circumcised. Uh, There's a controversy, a major controversy here in the book of Galatians. And it probably goes back to, uh, or or leads into uh, Acts the 15th chapter in the conference there. Let's notice over in Acts the 15th chapter, uh, after... Uh, the book of Galatians, we probably come to this place, this conference that took place in Jerusalem. And what was the subject of the conference? They had a whole conference for this very subject. Verse 1, And certain men came down from Judea and taught the brethren, Unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Oh, that was pretty pretty strict when you think about it. You can't be saved unless you are circumcised. Of course, that applied only to men. But nevertheless, uh, that's, that's what they were teaching there. And therefore, Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and dispute with them. And when they had, they uh, determined that Paul and Barnabas should go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders about the question, to go up to the leadership of the church to settle the question. And as we all know, the, the issue was settled. Now, we'll come back to that a little bit later, but let's go on to another one, and that is meats offered to idols. In 1 Corinthians, the 8th chapter, we see that this was an issue, and a lot of times the issues were very interesting with the sermonette. They're brought in from the outside. Uh, they're, they're, when people come into the church, or uh, we come into contact with people outside the church, then these issues come up. And so, here in 1 Corinthians the eighth chapter, it says concerning things offered to idols. This was an issue that came up, a, a legitimate issue, and it had to be addressed. And Paul addresses it here. He says, "We know that we all have knowledge." Knowledge puffs up. And, and I hope we can think about that in terms of conflicts and issues that we have today. That knowledge can puff up. Well, I know more about this subject than somebody else, or, you know, this, this type of thing. Uh, knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. Now, knowledge is good, uh, as long as we don't allow it to get us filled with pride and vanity and thinking that we are so good because of what we know. Uh, But the focus should be on love or outgoing concern, building other people up as opposed to puffing up the self. He says, "...if anyone thinks that he knows anything, he knows nothing, yet as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, this one is known by God." Verse 4, "...therefore concerning the eating of things offered to idols... We know that an idol is nothing in the world and that there is no other God but one. So they offered meats to idols and then oftentimes they would take them down to the meat market where they were sold. Uh, Also, we have this situation where a lot of business was conducted in these temples over meals and obviously... Uh, something would be unclean that would be served to them, or not unclean, but would, would, obviously would have been offered and sacrificed to an idol in a situation like that. He says, we know that an idol is nothing, so just because it's been offered there, it doesn't change the, the DNA, the, uh, proteins, uh, how the meat is, is going to taste, or how it is, is, uh, going to give us nutrition. It's not going to affect it in any way, shape, or form. Verse 5, "...for even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, or uh, as there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is one God, the Father, of whom are all things, and we for Him, and one Lord Jesus Christ, through whom are all things, and through whom we live. However, there is not in everyone that knowledge." Not everyone has that understanding that there's just one true God, and He's not an idol, He's not an image over there that we burn something to. But He is the living God in heaven, and He's created all things. He's created all things through His Son, Jesus Christ. We have that knowledge. That's something that we should value. But that knowledge is not in everyone. For some with conscience of the idol, consciousness of the idol, Until now, eat it as a thing offered to an idol, and their conscience becomes weak, their conscience being weak is defiled. In other words, if they grew up in that idol worship, and they sacrifice to that idol, and then they see that meat that was offered to an idol, uh, it, it affects how they think. But he says, but food does not commend us to God. For neither if we eat are we the better, nor if we do not eat are we the worse. But beware, lest somehow this liberty of yours becomes a stumbling block to those who are weak. So he says we have this knowledge. We know that it doesn't change the food. But for others who are our brothers and sisters in Christ, and they may have a little bit of a conscience problem with it. So he says, you know, beware of that, lest somehow our liberty, your liberty becomes a stumbling block to those who are weak, those who haven't matured as much, perhaps, uh, coming out of a pagan religion as maybe you have. For if anyone sees you who have knowledge eating in an idol's temple, well, uh, again, commerce was carried on there, business meetings and so forth. Uh, they were also the uh, the situation where the public baths, uh, swimming pools, you might say, Uh, that's where business was carried on as well. Today we carry it on on the golf course or in a restaurant. There they might have it at a temple or, uh, in a, in a swimming pool where, you know, the men were together and then women are separate and they were all naked and so circumcision became an issue. Uh, so he says, for if anyone sees you who have knowledge eating in an idol's temple, will not the conscience of him who is weak and be emboldened to eat those things offered to idols, and because of your knowledge shall the weak brother perish for whom Christ died. In other words, he may do something that he really doesn't think he should do, but maybe he's, uh, you know, doesn't want to make a scene or anything like that, so he goes ahead and does it and does something that he shouldn't do. But when you thus sin against the brethren and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. Verse 13, Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never again eat meat, lest I make my brother stumble. Well, the point here is that meats offered to idols were an issue that had to be dealt with in the first century. And the Apostle Paul addressed the issue. Uh, Obviously, there were some discussions or conflicts that were going on. It doesn't seem to be that there were huge conflicts over it, but there were certainly some conflicts over meats offered to idols, whether it was okay or not. Someone who uh, didn't have a conscience against it would would go ahead and do it, but someone whose conscience wouldn't allow him to wouldn't, or they were, you know, the the conflicts that went on there. Now, this is also talked about in the 10th chapter of 1 Corinthians, and we could pick it up in verse 23. Uh, a very important principle in all this. He says, All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but not all things edify or build up. This is chapter 10, verse 23. So there are a lot of things that are lawful. For example, eating that, that meat. Uh, you, you don't have to find out whether something is offered to an idol or not. Uh, but, you know, it, it's, it's meat, and you could eat it. But is it necessarily the best thing to do in every circumstance? He says, let no one seek his own, verse 24, but each one the other's well-being. In other words, stop thinking about yourself and start thinking about the well-being of those around you. He says in verse 25, eat whatever is sold in the meat market, because... Again, they would bring those down to the things offered to idols we brought to the meat market. He says, eat whatever is sold in the meat market, asking no question for conscience sake. He says, for the earth is the Lord's and all its fullness. Now, obviously, if you're in the meat market, you can tell the difference between, say, pork and beef, sometimes lamb and Pork might be closer, and so you might say, is that lamb or is that... There's nothing wrong with that. This has nothing to do with clean and unclean meats. It has to do with things that are offered to idols. And so he says, you know, eat whatever sold in the meat market. You don't have to ask him. okay, was that meat offered to an idol or not? If it looks like a good piece of meat and you want to buy it, then buy it. But he says in verse 27, if any of those who do not believe, invites you to a dinner. So your neighbor invites you over for dinner, maybe invites several people, uh, some that are in the church, some that are not, and you desire to go, eat whatever is set before you, asking no question for conscience' sake. Now, some have taken this to mean that you can eat unclean meats. No, you you can pretty well tell if something is... uh, You you know the difference between ham and uh, uh, roast beef. I think we know that. And so he's not saying eat anything that is set for you. He's talking about it in the context of things offered to idols. He says, ask no question for conscience sake. But, verse 28, if anyone says to you, this was offered to idols, you see, that's the context, not clean unclean meats, but someone says, this was offered to idols, do not eat it. So you can still turn something down for the sake of the one who told you and for conscience sake. For the earth is the Lord's and all its fullness. Conscience, I say, not your own, but that of the other. For why is my liberty judged by another man's conscience? So there's a time when you would not eat it because of someone else's conscience. Uh, It could even be the person who told you it's offered to an idol. Uh, Let me give you an example. I remember a young lady one time who wanted to uh, go on a... A trip with her schoolmates. It was a a class trip, but it would involve being out over the Sabbath. And she wanted to know what to do. And I think at that time, things were getting kind of loose. And the, the advice was that, well, you know, keep the Sabbath as best you can or whatever. So she decided to go. But it was her schoolmates who knew that she kept the Sabbath who questioned why why are you doing this? Should you be coming when this is on your Sabbath day? It was, it was a week-long trip, as I recall, but nevertheless, part of it was on the Sabbath. Now, we can see how the decisions we make can cause others to question what's going on. In this particular case, it's probably where there's more than one church member that is there, and one who has a problem, and he maybe whispers over to you that, you know, this is offered to an idol. Well, if that's the case, it's a problem for him, and it's best not to eat it. In fact, he says, don't do it. Therefore, whether you eat, verse 31, um, he says, Therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Do it to the glory of God, not just to serve the self give no offense either to the Jews or the Greeks or the church of God, just as I also please all men in all things, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of many, that they may be saved. So Paul was very careful about things like that, not wanting to bring offense where it was unnecessary, and uh, certainly uh, sacrificing some of our own desires as opposed to the desires of of uh, those around us, there were other New Testament disputes. Uh, for example, how to be justified by works of the law or by faith. That very clearly is a major controversy that Paul had to deal with on more than one occasion. Uh, we have the, the the controversies about, well, I'm of Paul or I'm of Apollos, and this is my favorite minister. And sometimes we. We hear that from time to time, and I, I guess we all have people that we relate to more than others, but it depends on how, we, how far we, we take that. In 1 Corinthians 3 and verse 1, 1 Corinthians 3 and verse 1, it says, And I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual people, but as to carnal, as to babes in Christ. First Corinthians 3, verse 2. I fed you with milk and not with solid food, for until now you were not able to receive it, and even now you are still not able. For you are still carnal, he said. For where there are envy, strife, and divisions among you, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? Notice, envy, strife, uh, divisions. Verse 4, for when one says, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are you not carnal? Well, I subscribe to this minister's opinion as opposed to this minister's supposed opinion. There are issues of vegetarianism. We have a couple places where that's uh, clearly mentioned, and we'll get to that a little bit. Uh, whether to be married or not to be married. Uh, there were those who were uh, forbidding to marry that we read of. Now, in more recent times, let's bring it down to recent times, because all those are ones that we read of in the Scriptures, uh, the church has had some controversies over the years. As an example, for 40 years, there were controversies that would rise up from time to time about the day of Pentecost, should it be on Sunday, or should it be on Monday. And Mr. Herbert Armstrong insisted for 40 years that it should be on Monday. And he had valid reasons for thinking so, using the English language. But it was Mr. Herbert Armstrong, who when he realized that in Jewish reckoning, it was different, who actually changed that went against what he had taught for 40 years because he realized he was wrong and he was humble enough to say he was wrong and that this is the right answer to it. You know, when we look at controversies we have today, they're pretty small compared to that when you think about it. And yet God blessed the work all those years. Uh, Even though we had the wrong day, I, I started out keeping... Monday for Pentecost. When I first came into the church, that change was made in 1974. I started attending 1964, I guess it was, so 10 years, I guess. Been keeping it on the wrong, wrong day. But there was Mr. Armstrong explained it a way that made sense. But he himself, uh, even though there were others who criticized him over the years, and you know, where are they? They they left and. Who knows where they went? God blessed the work that Mr. Armstrong was doing. He blessed the church. And then in God's time, he helped Mr. Armstrong to see where he was wrong on it. And Mr. Armstrong was humble enough and courageous enough uh, to boldly say that, I've been wrong about this. He may not have used those words, but he turned it the other way. At the same time, same year, divorce and remarriage uh, we changed our understanding on that, and I won't go into that. I'll just say that there was a change in our understanding of divorce and remarriage. Now, that was huge. That was a big thing. And uh, certainly could have been, uh, for some people, was, no doubt, controversial. Uh, we, we have cropping up from time to time, even to this day. Uh, I say to this day. I haven't heard anything lately, but, uh, you know, right up to modern times, disputes as to whether the Passover was on the 14th or the 15th, whether we should celebrate the Passover on the 14th or the 15th. And I've even heard the 13th, and I guess I've heard it twice now. I did hear that recently of somebody that, that knew somebody that thought it should be the 13th. Uh, you know, it, it's amazing the things that people can come up with. Then there's one that I think we've kind of forgotten about. A lot of women have forgotten about it, finally. Makeup. Uh, there was a time when it was okay to wear makeup, then we shouldn't, and then we could, then we shouldn't, and, you know, it goes back and forth. Uh, that's been controversial. Uh, there was even a time when a man shouldn't wear a toupee, uh, but then all of a sudden certain people started wearing them, and then I guess it was okay uh, so we, that's not controversial today, but it was at one time. One that we've perhaps can still remember whether men can wear earrings. I want to get into that. I hate to even mention these things in a way because that only brings up uh, more controversy, I suppose, but, uh, we could go on and on. And as Yule Brenner, I know that's ancient history. Most of our young people don't know who Yule Brenner was, but, uh, he played in The King and I, an old movie, as he would say, etc., etc., etc. The controversies just go on and on. Then there are the more recent disputes over the last two years. One is masks. I'll just say that everyone has science and an opinion on his side. Uh, it's amazing how everybody has an opinion. And everybody has his experts that he can quote his science on his side. And I'd like to thank all of all of you, dear brethren, who uh, have cooperated on you know our decisions that we've made on these things. I know that there are those who think it's the wrong decision to have to wear a mask, and yet so many of you have willingly. Uh, put on a mask, sometimes not the best quality, but nevertheless have tried to uh, to cooperate in that way, and that's commendable. Uh, that's the kind of togetherness that, uh, that we see that the church should have, that Paul talked about on such things as meats offered to idols, which really were very big deals at that time. Um, or or circumcision. I'm sure that when the decision was made on circumcision, that not everybody just immediately accepted it. The majority no doubt did, but there would always be those who, well, I just don't know about that, just knowing human nature the way it is. But brethren, thank you for, frankly, the the tremendous cooperation that we have had in the church, the the harmony that we've had, generally speaking, uh, in the, the living church of God. Uh, it's not been perfect. We understand that, but thank you for the cooperation and the understanding uh, as we work through difficult times. Uh, vaccines, of course, this is this is where you can find truths and untruths on both sides of the issue. Uh, I, I receive letters, emails from time to time, or comments from people that uh, why are you, why is the church standing on the fence? We need to you know show that that vaccines are evil of the devil and uh you should never have one and anybody who has one lacks faith. And then I receive letters from other people that why are you standing on the fence? Why aren't you having everybody do the moral thing uh the, the the civic duty thing which is to be vaccinated uh to protect everybody else. So we we get both sides of it. And just think about it, brethren. If the church came down, and this is not the reason that we don't come down on one side or the other, but if the church said, okay, everybody has to be vaccinated, what would that do to the work of God? Or what if we said, it's a sin to be vaccinated, so you better not be vaccinated or you'd be disfellowshipped. What would that do to the work of God? You know, we have a work to do. God has called us to do something And He's not called us to get all caught up in all the arguments of this world. And again, who's behind all this confusion? Who's behind the the credibility crisis, as it says here? There's a credibility crisis that we have in our society today. There are so many lies, so many missteps, and sometimes they're just mistakes. Honest mistakes that leaders have made. And it doesn't mean that they're evil. It's just that they, they look at it one day and, and new facts come to light and they may change their mind on something. But there's a credibility crisis. And, and the credibility crisis does go to the fact that there's a lot of pride. There's an agenda behind some of these things. There's, uh, you know, th- th- there have been uh, deliberate uh, misrepresentations. And there's a lot of politics in it. Here in this country, in the United States, the person who's president and vice president said, well, at least the vice president said that she would never have anything that Mr. Trump had anything to do with, the vaccine. And now when they're in office, it's all different, isn't it? That's politics. And I'm not taking sides on that. The, you know, the, the, the vaccine was, was uh, created under one presidency, and the, the next presidency is, is promoting it. Uh, take your pick Uh, Fauci as an example worked for both presidents so you you have this, this going on there you know there are truths and there are untruths on both sides those who are for vaccines cry this is the pandemic of the unvaccinated but is that what the facts tell us The fact is that whether you're vaccinated or not, you can get this virus and pass it on to others. I just heard on the news as I was coming over here, a plane from Australia to, I think, Samoa had to turn around because 14 people on the plane were COVID positive. They had tested negative before they left, but I guess they got sick. Uh, I'm not sure exactly how all this this, uh, played out. But all of them have been fully vaccinated. But they came down with COVID. So when we say it's the pandemic of the vaccinated, unvaccinated, that's not necessarily true. At the same time, something that those on the other side of the coin may not be willing to admit, and that is that the vaccinated from, and I would say this based on what I've heard from people who are against the mandates, but nevertheless they admit that apparently the symptoms are less severe or the sickness is less severe overall for those who are vaccinated and and some will admit that for those who have had the virus prior to that and have now natural immunity, that is, if they survived the virus the first time. We can point to a lot of statistics of how many deaths there have been, according to the VAERS report, 21,000, I think, from the vaccine. But then the other side is, look how many people have died who were not vaccinated. So there are, there are arguments on both sides. And some arguments are better than other arguments. But the fact of the matter is, you can go both ways on these things. There are pros and there are cons. There is no absolute answer to everything. Some people say, well, it's your moral obligation to be vaccinated. Okay. That's based on the fact that I might give it to you if I'm not vaccinated. But if you're vaccinated and you give it to somebody, then that kind of does away with that moral argument, I would say. That seems to be logical. Uh, It's been said that the vaccine is thoroughly tested and is safe. Well, for the most part, I I would admit to that. Uh, I would say that's for the for the most part. But there are questions that have come up. There are issues that have come up. That countries have even shut down vaccination on one or two of the the uh, vaccines for a period of time to look at the the facts more. And the question is. Does anybody? Is there anybody on this earth right now who can tell us what the long-term effects of it will be? Now, there are those that say, well, there's going to be a disaster down the road. Everybody's going to get sick and die who's had the vaccine. Well, you don't know that. But for someone to say, well, it's perfectly safe that there's nothing that can happen down the road, you don't know that either. I gave an example in a sermon right here uh, not long ago uh, of... Uh, a particular uh, uh, medicine, or I guess, I guess it wasn't a vaccine, but it was a, a particular treatment that they that was started in 1940, and they didn't really stop until uh, 1972 or three, right around then, because the problems didn't show up immediately. They showed up not in the the, the, the mothers that took it; it showed up in the daughters of those women. Uh, who were born, uh, whose mothers had taken it. So there are things that, that you and I simply don't know. Are we humble enough to recognize that there's a lot we don't know? You know, anti have come up with the most outrageous things, microchips injected with the vaccines. You know, I, I, there, I can find some problems with the vaccines, but that's surely not one of them. I'm not worried about somebody injecting a microchip into me. Uh, You have to stop and think about the the logistics of that. How do they do that? It's a plot to depopulate the world. Uh, You know, you've got Fauci and who's the the guy, uh, Microsoft guy, um, all these different people. It's a big plot on their part. Well... I think there's a lot of money in all this, but uh, some of the, some of the worst accusations that people have given, I mean, are just plain ridiculous. Let's notice over in Second Timothy one, Second Timothy one, and verse seven. It says, "For God." has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Frankly, some of this stuff is just not from a sound mind. And if people are offended by that, then so be it. Uh, not trying to offend anybody, but some of this stuff just has to stop uh, sending out uh, these ridiculous, you know, emails and... and uh, uh, links to, to some of these wild speculations, not speculations, wild, uh, stories that people come up with. It, it's, it's ridiculous. And all it does is destabilize people, uh, people who might be a little bit weak in mind as well. We hear to be vaccinated is a lack of faith. But you know, sometimes to be vaccinated is an act of faith. Uh, it can be a lack of faith, but it can be an act of faith as well. We have individuals who have been vaccinated because they want to see a relative who is terribly sick and they're not able to otherwise. Uh, we, we have a, a number of reasons why people would be vaccinated. Uh, to do the work of God. Frankly, we have ministers in the world today, right now, who could not do their work if they were not vaccinated. They could not travel freely. And they have to travel freely to do the work of God. We had one minister who traveled out of his state and the law changed in the meantime, it was internationally, uh, and was not able to get home unless he was vaccinated. Now I guess he could stay in a motel for a long time until the laws change, or he can take the vaccine exercise faith that God will protect him from it, and then uh, go on from there. You know, it takes faith both ways. And I think we just need to cut people a little bit of slack that we have different reasons why someone would be vaccinated, why someone would not. Someone might find himself in a very high-risk category. And just like any other medical procedure go for that medical procedure based on what the situation is. If, if someone is diabetic, he probably will take insulin, or if it's type 2, whatever the, the, the pills are for it. person may decide to do that. Is that different from taking the vaccine for someone who has a lot of comorbidities and, and feels that I, I really do need to take it uh, because I'm at great risk? That's not for me to decide. That's not for you to decide. But what we can say is that if we start judging someone uh, for the decision that he makes or she makes based on whatever the decision, the reasons are, uh, that's where we get into problems. What if in some countries, as it could very well happen, and it may not be with this vaccine, it may be with something else, they're going to take your children away unless you and get them vaccinated or unless they have this procedure or that procedure. Well, do we stand firm and say, uh, uh, no way, you're not going to. I guess you can get your gun out and try to keep, you know, keep the, the law away from you. Or or you just in faith have the vaccine because if they take your child, they'll, they'll give it to them and then you have a hard time getting them back. There's reasons. Brethren, we need to think these things through and recognize that there are different circumstances that different people are facing. Do we have the humility to recognize that even we can be wrong about these things? We all have opinions, but which one of us knows long-term what the answer to something is? We just don't know. This is what fasting is all about, to humble ourselves and, and to, to recognize that we can be wrong and at least have some reservation before we judge someone else. You know, the Apostle Paul gave instructions to two young ministers, Timothy and Titus. And I was going to go through some of them. You can read Timothy and Titus, first and second Timothy and Titus. I'll I'll just skip them. But when you Look at what Paul said. He told them to avoid foolish distractions. He said there there are always disputes over words, over genealogies, over different things. You can go ahead and read it yourself. But avoid these distractions and senseless disputes. That's what he told both those younger men. In pastoring, these are called the pastoral epistles because... Paul is telling Timothy and Titus, here's how to pastor the congregation. Here's how to conduct yourself. And over and over again, through those three letters, two to Timothy and one to Titus, he, he shows that there are all these distractions, all these disputes that go on that are just senseless disputes. Fights over words and everything like that. He told them to focus on those things which are truly important. And you look at that and practical things of, uh, you know, how a husband is to conduct himself and a wife and how the children are conduct themselves. Those are the things that he he mentions there. You know, oftentimes we get caught up in these disputes and, and read so many things online that we never take time to read the magazine. I'll promote it again. You know, if you want to know what the church is thinking on it, right here, that's where it is. And, of course, the Living Church News as well. I hope you're taking the time to read those things. That's far more important than spending hours and hours of time searching through all this stuff out there and all the arguments back and forth. Yes, do your homework to a certain degree, but at some point in time, just realize that there's a lot of junk out there and you're never going to know the answer to all of it. Uh, when when Satan is the god of this world and he's going to just send out so much stuff that, to keep you confused. You know, there are a couple passages of Scripture that help us to realize how to deal with these things. One of them is over in Romans. Romans, the 14th chapter, where there were disputes that were going on within the, the congregation there. In Romans 14, verse 1, it says, Re- Receive one another... Who is weak in the faith, but not to disputes over doubtful things. Yeah, you know, that, that's interesting because he says that there are those who are weak in the faith. He says, receive them. Now, you might think that the other person is weak in the faith, and maybe he thinks you're weak in the faith. It really doesn't matter. If you see someone who thinks differently on some issue, maybe you think he's weak in the faith. Well, keep that to yourself. But don't receive him. uh, He says, receive him. him, uh, But not to disputes over doubtful things. Uh, Who's weak in the faith? But don't don't dispute with him over these things. For one believes that he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats only vegetables. This is not talking about clean and unclean meats. It's talking about vegetarianism. Now, we read elsewhere in 1 Timothy, the fourth chapter, that uh, those who command to abstain from meats... Uh, are, hold your place here. Let me go there. Um, yeah, 1 Timothy 4, verse 1. It says, Now the Spirit expressly says... That in the latter time, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron. And it mentions two of those doctrines of demons. Forbidding to marry. Now we have some churches that teach their priests should not marry. And commanding to abstain from foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. Now, it's not talking about clean and unclean meats. Uh, this has probably had sermonettes on this, but it says in verse 5 that if you give thanks, it's sanctified by the Word of God and prayer. The Word of God is this book. And what does the book say about what is sanctified, what is set apart for for food and what is not, but even though he says here that that's a, a doctrine of demons, over here in Romans the fourteenth chapter, he speaks of one who who may be weak in the faith who eats only vegetables. Now you have those who are promoting uh, these these vegan diets and things like that, and oftentimes people are not getting all that they should, but There are also those who maybe come out of a background, a Seventh-day Adventist background, as an example, where they've never eaten meat in their entire life. And it's not that they believe that it's wrong to, they just they just can't bring themselves to do it. Maybe they're a little weak in the faith and a little bit in that way. And and Paul says, receive that person, but not to doubtful disputations or disputing with that person over the things that are, are doubtful. It could go one way or the other, as it's saying here. I'm reading that wrong because it says, but not to disputes over doubtful things. There are some things that are doubtful and don't dispute with them over it. For one believes he made all things, but he who is weak eats only vegetables. Verse 3, let not him who eats despise him who does not eat, and let not him who does not eat judge him who eats, for God has received him. Now honestly, brethren, I cannot think of a more direct parallel to the principle than vaccinations right now. Uh, it, it seems like a direct parallel in so many ways. We're talking about what we take into our, our bodies, what we eat, what we don't eat, uh, what we inject into ourselves and what we don't. Um, it, it doesn't mean that one is right and the other is wrong, but it just means don't, some things are just not worth the dispute over. They're not religious issues as they are physical issues. Verse 4. I love this part. It says, Who are you to judge another servant? Who are we to judge another servant? To his own master he stands or falls. Who is who's the, uh, the master? Well, that's God, Christ. And who are the servants? That's us. To his own master he stands or falls. Indeed, he will be made to stand, for God is able to make him stand. And then it talks about esteeming one day over another. And, and we have uh, an article on this, a uh, letter. But it, it's talking about esteeming one day over another had to do with fasting, with with uh, uh, eating what you ate and what you didn't. Uh, it was not talking about the Sabbath or the Holy Days, which God makes very clear elsewhere what they are, and, and so forth. You can't throw all the rest of Scripture out over something that is a little bit unclear here. In fact, it's interesting. When he says doubtful things, I guess you could say, well, this is a doubtful thing. This is something that's a little bit unclear. But we're, we're very certain because it gets right back to the subject of what you eat. And, you know, even in Catholicism, they don't eat meat on Friday for whatever reason. Uh, there may have been those in Rome that didn't eat certain uh didn't buy their meat or or eat certain things on certain days because they offered to idols or any number of things. We don't know all the the background of it, but there was something going on here that is not involving clean and unclean meats, or that is not involving uh the day of worship. He says, But none of us lives to himself, verse seven, and no one dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. And verse 9, For to this end Christ died and rose and lived again, that he might, that, uh, he might be Lord of both the dead and the living. But why do you judge your brother, it says? Or why do you show contempt for your brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And down in verse 14, he talks about there's nothing unclean of itself. And that word is common. Again, giving more of the sense of of, uh, something that was offered to idols. Uh, But he says, verse 15, If your brothers grieve because of your food, you're no longer walking in love. Do not destroy with your food the one for whom Christ died. And then down in verse uh, 20. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All things indeed are pure, but it is evil for the man who eats with offense. It's good neither to eat meat nor drink wine nor do anything by which your brother stumbles or is offended or is made weak. Do you have faith? Have it to yourself before God. And he says, Happy is he who does not condemn himself and what he approves. But he who doubts is condemned if he eats because he does not eat from faith for whatever is not from faith is sin. Now, there are people that will not do certain things because they don't have the faith to do it. And that's that's fine. Leave it at that. It's just just... Go back to Acts 15 very briefly here. I want to make a point here that Acts 15, uh, we don't always see. Uh, the, the subject is circumcision. People came down and said, unless you're circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Now, the decision was made. There was some disputing over it, much disputing, in fact. And finally, Peter stood up and said, look, God used me to bring the Gentiles to the, the, to, to Him from the beginning, or the, the first one. And uh, that, then he, he gave some scriptures or he mentioned some things there. He said, uh, well, let me just read it. Verse 7, uh, When there had been much dispute, Peter rose up and said to them, Men and brethren, you know that a good while ago God chose among us that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And he said in verse 9 that God made no distinction between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. And so he said, Why do you then, verse 10, put a yoke on the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear? But we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ we shall be saved in the same manner as they. Then Barnabas and Paul stood up and talked about how God had done a great work among the Gentiles. And finally, James, the brother of Christ, who uh, half-brother, uh, stood up and, and uh, said, because it was, he was the, the apostle over that uh, congregation, he said, This is our decision. Now, they made that decision and said that they did not have to be circumcised. But notice chapter 16 and verse 1. It says, Then he came to Derbe and Lystra, and, behold, a certain disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a certain Jewish woman who believed that his father was Greek. Verse 2. He was well spoken of by the brethren who were in Lystra and Lyconium. Paul wanted to have him go on with him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in that region, for they all knew that his father was Greek. And as they went through the cities, verse 4, they delivered to them the decrees to keep. The decrees that we read of there, or that were referenced there, in Acts the 15th chapter. So this was after that, when they're going out and reading the decrees, but nevertheless Paul had uh, Timothy uh, circumcised which were determined by the apostles and the elders at Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and increased in number daily. So it's very interesting when you, when you look at that, that in spite of the fact that it was unnecessary to be circumcised, uh, he still circumcised Timothy, and so it became a very personal matter. Now, I'd like to, to finish with just a couple things. So one statement... And that is that people ask, why do you sit on the fence? Why is the church on the fence on this subject of vaccines? And the answer is, we're not on the fence. We've made a decision. Based on our understanding of the Scriptures, it is a personal decision. That is a decision. That's not a fence-sitting decision. That's a decision that we've made. So when we get these letters from this side or that side... What you're really saying is that I just don't agree with the decision because the decision's been made. You just don't like the decision. And I guess that that decision is not going to make anybody happy, but that's the way it is. I think it does make a lot of people happy. I think that most of our our brethren, most of you, are very much with it. I, I really do believe that when we travel around and we visit the churches, we find that the majority, the overwhelming majority of the brethren, no matter which side of the fence they're on on some of these things, on a personal basis, whatever decision they've made, the overwhelming majority of us uh, recognize that we're living in interesting times, to say the least. And we do make decisions, and we have to make some from the church's perspective. And some of those decisions have to be personal decisions. And it is you... And it is me they will stand before the, the judgment seat of Christ. And we'll have to answer for whatever decisions we make. But we, we've got to stop this thing where we try to force others to do things the way that we do. I'd like to end. Uh, skip over some of the commission that God has given to us to do the work. I, I think we have a number of sermons on that. But we have a work to do. And it's getting very close to the end. And there are some times when, brethren, we're going to have to pull together because persecution is definitely on the horizon. I don't know exactly when and how it's going to come about, but it will come, and we need to hold together. I'd like to finish with something that Mr. John Strain, our pastor here, who uh, uh, gave the announcements today, wrote and makes comments every, every week in the a weekly bulletin, or just before it. He said, uh, breaking into it, it says, Fasting is about humbling ourselves. God can allow us to experience very humbling situations, but those situations may not be necessary if we humble ourselves. And fasting is one rather simple but very effective way to remind ourselves just how temporal we are. Then, as we consider our physical limitations and frailties, and I would add our mental frailties, our our, our humanness, our, our lack of ability to always know the answer to every question, absolutely, we are reminded just how much we need God and the special care He affords us. A churchwide fast can help us be of one mind and unify us anew as we focus on doing His work. And I think that sums it up very well. So thank you, brethren, for all the support, uh, the letters of support, for all the cooperation, for all the love and the prayers that go up for one another and helping one another in difficult times. And let's make sure that we keep focused, be circumspect, and not allow ourselves to get distracted by Satan the devil.